1968's Street Fighting Man by the Rolling Stones reflects society undergoing incredible changes. Demonstrations against the Vietnam War attracted thousands of students, both in Europe and America. In some cases, they turned violent. Hey, said my name is called Disturbance, could reflect changes we see not just in society, but in business and technology. When it comes to technologies used by contact centers, Disturbance goes by another name. The cloud. Cloud-based technologies are rapidly changing the way contact centers interact with technology vendors. Perpetual licensing for on-premise or on-prem solutions has been disrupted by short-term commitments to cloud solutions. Cloud-based solutions can implement advances in capability quickly and without involvement of the licensee. Rachel Lane has spent her career as a vendor of technologies to contact centers and has seen the revolution from on-prem to cloud firsthand. Just a few of the topics on our agenda. The core functions of major contact center technologies. The rise of interoperable CCAS technologies. Is this the end of long-term commitments to tech vendors? Are LLMs like ChatGPT hype or are they transformational? What buyers of technology really care about? And some surprising anecdotes about fine art, music, and old school technology. Let's get to it. Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two Vision. Eliminate blind spots and see right through every conversation with Happy Two Vision. Learn more at ajppitu.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Thanks, everyone, for joining another episode of Next in Q. You know who I am. And today I am joined by Rachel Lane from Across the Pond. Rachel, it is so great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm great, thanks. I'm excited to be with you, Rob. And uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. I am as well. And I always like to get some friends from across the pond. And I understand that you're missing some California weather that uh, you used to enjoy. Yeah, so much so. And, uh, you know, don't want to start start this chat on a downer, but <laughs> um, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, I'm having to kind of wear my brightest jacket today because the weather is being very brittle. <laughs> and uh, after <laughs> being in California, it's, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a big reminder of how long uh the winters are and you know it, it rolls into spring and you think hang on a minute before you know it, it's going to be summer <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is going to be summer soon and uh you know we're definitely in that transitory period between seasons but i think maybe i've got the better end of it right now but yeah 
that's always subject yeah. to change. So today we are going to talk about uh, tech stack and buyer behavior when it comes to tech stack and kind of emerging trends. You know, you've been kind of on this, uh, on the vendor side, tech stack for, I, I don't even want to say how long, but let's just say it's been longer than I've been in the business, which is a pretty, pretty decent amount of time. I feel confident that you know what you're talking about. But before we get into the nitty gritty, sometimes I like to take a step back and make sure that I recognize that not all of my get or not all of the audience knows what we're talking about when we talk about tech stacks in contact centers. So can we take a little bit and just talk about some of the pieces of technology that contact centers use today and kind of what their core function is so that people who don't know have a, a rough understanding of it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think when you think about traditional contact center tech stack, obviously, you know, you start off with your telephony platform, you build onto that, you have your speech analytics, so you're collecting that voice piece in, you have the IVRs, obviously, to capture those customers when they're calling into the contact center and hopefully direct them to a meaningful operator. Um, so that's kind of you're at the front end, if you like. But of course, on the back end of that, there is a whole ecosystem and that ecosystem runs um, in order to help you see visibility of what's going on in the contact center. So that could be um, around desktop analytics for those agents. It could be that whole workforce experience management piece. So understanding um not just from a customer experience perspective, but actually from a script adherence performance perspective, how are those agents doing? That takes you into kind of the quality management, the workforce optimization piece. And what we're seeing now, of course, is that whereas, you know, maybe even as short time away as five years or so, you would see a distinct tech stack for the experience analytics, so your customer experience piece, from your workforce optimization, your workforce experience management, as we call it now, there would, there would be pretty distinctly different tech stacks. And you would see some inter, interoperability between the speech analytics of the customer experience and the quality management of the workforce optimization piece. But, you know, what we're seeing now is... is something very different we're seeing and, and this is partly because of the evolution of those tech vendors um and in fact let's let's just kind of i know we're going to talk a little bit about the evolution of of that tech stack today and and this probably brings me to one one of the key parts is that when you think about the tech stack of today rob it's you think about it in a very different way than you did back let's say 10, 15 years ago, when I first started in in the contact center tech industry. Um, and the customer has been on a real, and when I say customer, I mean the, um, the contact center itself. Um, they've been on a real journey of maturity. So they started um, buying perpetual licenses 
back in the day. And that, that's what I grew up selling was the, the perpetual on-premise license for most of these things. Um, so whether that was your customer feedback solution, whether that was your speech analytics or desktop analytics, um, nine times out of 10, you would be buying a perpetual license and then having that 30% year-on-year service fee, and you would have it hosted on your own service in that contact center. Um, and you know the, the downside of that is that it took forever to implement these pieces. It took a lot of, not only did it take a lot of manpower, but it took a lot of hardware as well. It was very expensive to deploy. So if you made a mistake in the contact center, it was very costly for you. Um, and I think now where we're seeing that tech stack evolve and merge to a degree, so where I said earlier about the the workforce optimization and, and the workforce analytics or the, the desktop analytics um, started to merge as vendors started to build out their own tech stack. And what we saw then was the rise of the big platform vendors um, and we started to see a gradual migration from that perpetual ownership model to the cloud. So in the cloud piece that obviously is so com common today, we started to see large platform vendors emerging. So it became fairly commonplace that if you bought um, a telephony stack that you might well look to buy all your analytics solutions from there. Um, and you might well buy all your workforce management solutions from the same place as well. And that way you had generally decent interoperability, or at least that's what the thought process was. In my experience back then, Rob, um, having worked for you know some of these, these vendors, you still had the um, the issue, if you like, of actually connecting um, those different solutions because they wouldn't all get implemented at the same time. So you might buy your telephony platform and then 12 months later, you're implementing speech analytics on top of it, for example, and then you're implementing your quality management. You've got different implementation teams. You've very often got siloed buyers as well. So, so often those different solution sets from that single platform were connected. So, you know, it's always, whenever we're looking at the tech stack for the contact center, it's, it's a fairly complex world, but actually what we've been moving to is a much easier and, and much simpler way of buying it. Um, so, yeah, so long way of answering your your question there, Rob, but that's that's typically what we would describe as as that tech stack. Yeah. So everyone, this is the reason when I say if you want to know about emerging tech, look no further than the contact center because they use almost everything. I mean, you just went mm -hmm. through a litany of all these different systems, and I think People who aren't in the business and aren't familiar with CX or aren't familiar with contact centers, they really just don't understand how many different systems can be used or many different technologies 
could in some instances all be contained within one or two platforms these days, but there are just a lot of different things out there. Aside from what we're seeing with this migration to the cloud, which has definitely changed things, what else have you been seeing that is changing and affecting how I, as a contact center leader, if I'm if I am vetting technologies, maybe I need a new, uh, maybe I need a new ACD platform, right? Mm-hmm. What what has changed? What am I doing differently today than I did five years ago? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question, and I think you know you might even be doing something different today than you were doing three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing the the contact center and the way that we were it's being bought out um as maturing super quickly so yes we've moved into cloud um but we've also now got ccas which is has probably replaced the single platform um in in many many organizations now the great thing about CCAS, obviously, it's cloud and potentially it's a one-stop shop for a variety of different best-in-class vendors. It, it might well be that you're buying CCAS from one of those original platform vendors that have taken it to the cloud. But very often now, when we look at, at CCAS, we're looking at a partnership, a marketplace model, whereby you go in, you pick your ACD, and then on top of that, you look at, okay, so how how can I complement my current tech stack? Um, and so we're looking at the rise of a new interoperable platform. And the great thing about the new CCAS solutions is that they are interoperable. They have to be because they've got this marketplace behind them where they're selling lots of other different vendor best-in-class technologies. But that also, and you know, that that's brilliant. I'm a huge advocate of that. I think it, it makes sense for many, many contact centers. Um, but also what we're looking at now is a very agile approach to buying contact center tech. It means that effectively, yes, you can go to CCAS and buy it all, or you can just buy one or two pieces. And because of that interoperability, there should be standard connectors to many, many other best-in-class solutions. And what we're doing here is we're de-siloing data, right? So gone are the days where we actually care if your business is siloed or not. It doesn't matter. If we can de-silo that data, we can share that data to the right people in the right place at the right time, then it doesn't really matter if your marketing department is in one place, your sales operation is in somewhere else. So that's the beauty of of where we're moving to now is that you are going to be able to pick best in class. I think since the pandemic, and the pandemic was amazing for contact centers, when I think about how slow contact centers were prior to the pandemic to upgrade their platforms and the whole sales process might be 18 months um from uh going through a whole buying process 
during the pandemic, that literally went down to seven to nine weeks. Yeah. So, you know, all the vendors obviously were, were having a big hurrah and, you know, the contact centers themselves, they learn overnight how, how they need to be agile and how the new world, the fail fast world is absolutely suited to contact centers. It just took, took that mindset change to get to where we are now. Um, and I don't think we'll ever go back to where we were, but certainly it enabled many contact centers to leap about 10 years in terms of not just technology, but governance and process that went around it as well. And some are still in catch up in the governance and mm -hmm. process piece. But, um, you know, what we are seeing and what will continue is a good level of agility, a good level of those contact centers not wanting to sign up for five-year deals um, on, you know, on tech vendors and then, you know, be disappointed after 18 months and have to sit on a contract that they're not happy with. So, um, so yes, I think in that, in that respect, it's a wonderful place to be buying tech now. Um, my, th there's a few caveats to that. I think, you know, you, we have to make sure that as we're making these decisions that, you know, everybody's had to move at pace. We've certainly seen, even over the last 12 months, where businesses um, and from the tech vendor side, where tech vendors um, moved really, really quickly, they grew their teams exponentially to cover um, this, this huge need coming in from the contact center. Um, now the last six months particularly six to 12 months we've seen a lot of those organizations um, return to BAU and they've cut a lot of their their staff and a lot of those staff might well be in the product and engineering side they might well be in the customer success side so what I would say is you know whilst we're working in this great environment we need to make sure as buyers that you know, you feel really confident that they the vendor can deliver on what they say, that they have inbuilt connectors for the other platforms, the, the other solutions that you want to be inter interoperable with. Um, because there is a, a an ongoing issue of, of technical debt across many organizations right now. And that's that's simply because they scaled up and now they've had to pull back. Um, so do if if you're if you're looking at a variety of different vendors um, and not just small, small vendors, some of the larger vendors that, you know, they've they've got technical debt, which might well mean that whilst they're able to do implementations at scale and speed like they were previously, if you need to make adjustments or you need to have connectors built, just be sure that you have those conversations um, in some detail to make sure that you know, you, you're going to get that. So I think, you know, there are a few caveats, but um, it's so much easier to buy tech now than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, you touched on a couple of things that I really wanted to ask about. And so the first thing you mentioned earlier, right, when we were doing on-prem systems, I would buy it, I licensed it in perpetuity, I dealt with the maintenance. And for the most part, contact centers didn't want to change their stack because they had 
purchased often equipment, physical equipment, uh, but they'd also already made this investment and, and they didn't have to make a new investment if they, if everything worked. And, and so they were often not wanting to, I mean, why would you, if, if this still works, has the appetite now for contracts and, and long-term contracts, has that changed pretty drastically? And if so, like, is it continuing to change? It, are, are contact centers trying to shorten the commitment that they're tied to, to any given solution? Yes, yeah, they are. And I, I think rightly so. Um, because of the way that that we're all moving now, you know, in the world, the expectation is that you don't want to be locked into a really long contract with a vendor. Um, you want to make sure that your tech stack is always best in class. I don't know about you, but, you know, when I look at a, a dashboard or whether it's a CRM dashboard or a BI dashboard, I look at it and I and I really want to see the latest tech mm -hmm. in that dashboard and things like that change dashboards get tired really really quickly and you know some of the key key the key users of those dashboards are decision makers so I think it's really important as we're investing a lot of money in these technologies that those vendors are on their toes that that they know they've got to deliver best in class and i think you know as difficult as this makes it um and expensive as it makes it for the vendors because they've got to have that continuous sales cycle um making sure that those customers are, are going to renew their contracts you know that whole process costs a, biz a business money but it keeps a business honest as well um and you know i'm firmly on the side of the buyers there rob that you know nothing keeps a tech stack sharp as you know as the the potential to lose business the following year if they don't yeah. so so yes and you know if you look at the way way we are as consumers now i wouldn't sign up for a gym membership of 12 months i just wouldn't do it there's so <laughs> many things now you want i want to be rolling month to month wherever i can it just makes sense. It means that you never feel cheated. You always feel like you're getting ROI and value. Now, you know, ROI is a, is a great topic as well, Rob. So when we're thinking about ROI, some of those tech solutions will take longer than 12 months to get to get your ROI. Um, so it makes sense to book in for a two year on those. Um, but I think, you know, we're, for many organizations, we're we're seeing the end of the three or the five year um tie-in and um you know i'm even though i'm i'm on the the vendor the tech vendor side um i think that's a good thing i think it, it keeps a business really on its toes um and that way you know that you're delivering a great product to your customer yeah i 100 percent agree i have to imagine then too that that onboarding process and how we get from a signed contract or or whatever that case may be to we're we're fully implemented. If I am a vendor, I want that to be as short as possible because 
the longer that stretches out, the more dissatisfied yeah. someone is, the more they start looking and saying, hey, maybe this is a better option. Yeah, absolutely. We've got to remember that works both sides as well, Rob. So, you know, with that implementation piece, and I can tell you from my experience that many, many delayed implementations have not come from the vendor side, but they've come from the customer side where they haven't got you know, their required skill set in place or they just don't have the man hours to, to you know, to do that implementation on their side. So that still takes planning. Um, and, you know, I talked about technical debt earlier on the vendor side, but there's also technical debt on the customer side very often as well. Um, you know, we've, we've all had implementations that have been delayed by, you know, a delayed CRM implementation that we were supposed to be running off the back of. So it takes, you know, it takes a lot of skill on the customer side as well to make sure that that implementation, um, you know, is is done in a timely way too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about something that I've been talking about for months, but it just seems like it changes so fast and uh, now is in such great demand like everybody's talking about it and that's generative ai uh which is a challenge kids say it say it quickly uh chat gpt i think really changed the narrative of how people are thinking about the possibilities but my question to you is is that technology hype or is it transformation? Yeah, I love talking about this right now. I could talk about <laughs> it all day long. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely transformation, right? And, you know, up until chat GPT, probably there was a bit of hype in there. I think most of us thought, yeah, it's coming, but we've probably got a good 12 months yet yet before we need to get excited and then chat gpt launched and suddenly you see the momentum that that brought with it um because it's applicable to everybody you know i've got i've got my kids using it to do homework i've got you know i wrote a cookery book on it for fun one weekend you know all all kinds of stuff <laughs> so think you know now we've all got excited about the use cases both from a, a work perspective and potentially a, a personal perspective as well and what I'm seeing is and what makes me so excited about this is the momentum that is behind this now for myself yeah I'm a tech vendor but what I look at actually is everything not just the tech itself but the governance that goes around this. So, and, and I work mostly on the consultancy side. So I work with customers on, you know, getting ROI out their implementations, making sure that we understand what the challenges are. So that tech solution is absolutely honed in to, to, to treat those challenges. So when I see something come along, like, you know, generative AI, for me, that is, yes, there's lots of fun and excitement, but actually, how are we going to harness this as well? So you've got that top line thought where you think, okay, so a load of, of smaller companies are going to be thinking to themselves, well, actually, I could just put chat GPT 
um, in a ton of my customer facing solutions, that's going to work great. Um, so that's that's kind of my my top line thought is how how do we either enable that or, or how do we and the more likely how do we enable that with caution mm. and or how do we talk to them about yeah you need that technology but you actually need it in a platform form to provide that safety net for you um because generally when when we look at those ai platforms now there's about three different layers and chat gpt is just one layer of that and i think for for all businesses it certainly makes sense if you're going to dive into this and i strongly I strongly think people should dive into it because it's fantastic. Um, but I think at least start your journey by going with the platform. Uh, the whole thing about generative AI is that it does enable a business to um, get much closer to a larger majority of their customer. Um, but it takes a fair amount of work in order to 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 get to that point so you know the initial excitement is probably a oh but actually it's going to take us a little while yeah it's <laughs> it, a while um and I've, I've started writing some guidance already um which is around that governance piece it's around the transparency you know we, we just need to make sure that everybody has a model that everybody in their organization buys into so they have a policy about the transparency do they or do they not tell their customers that it's an AI and not a human um, person. Um, how accountable are they for those engagements that are AI driven? And what about the robustness and the safety of those conversations? So this, you know, there's probably eight to 10 different elements of governance that surround that. So whilst I'm, I'm all into it and I'm as excited as everybody else, for somebody like me that likes to make sure that we provide a holistic thing in a package done up with a bow that we're confident it's going to work, we understand how much effort it is to get it to the point that that organization is going to feel really comfortable and confident in and their customers are going to feel like it represents their brand and their business as well. And that's that's not just chucking a chat. GPT into a conversation. Yeah, I wonder as we, I think organizations will use these technologies to offload more and more conversations from live agents. I worry yeah. though that they won't be monitoring all of these interactions. And then what happens when mm -hmm. You've got an interaction that goes rogue. I mean, we know how we deal with that in a contact center with an individual. But if, if your AI, which is not an individual and is the same AI having all of these conversations, like what do you do when it starts to go off the rails and how quickly are you able to catch that? And yeah. I think that is something that you were speaking to, like, you have to be thinking about how you are going to make sure that interactions, if they're directly with customers, don't all of a sudden 
say something that is off the rails and all of a sudden you're on the the front page of you know the internet all of the all of the media sources about this interaction someone had with you and it's and it's ai yeah yeah exactly and i think it's about guardrails isn't it it's about what we were talking about and i and i think you know inevitably that's going to happen um i would say the good news is that actually all of the conversational intelligence analytics that the tech vendors have been building over the last 10 years and there's some really good quality analytics now that will work exactly the same in uh, on ai driven conversation as it does human conversation so provided all the guardrails are put up then they should trigger alerts um as uh, just as if it, it was a human so i'm i'm fairly confident that the alerts will go out what i'm and what i agree with entirely is you know when you were talking at the beginning about making sure that these interactions are monitored yeah they're not going to be monitored um and you know but what what we i mean they'll be monitored but there's monitoring and monitoring right right and i think what we will have is real-time analysis but in order to catch every slight nuance of this it because of there will be so many simultaneous conversations um going through this it will be impossible to monitor every ongoing conversation and pick up very quickly um on um, potential issues so I think that is an area that we are need going to need to focus and really look at the robustness and and the scalability of of the solutions to make sure that whilst you know we're not going to have human monitoring, we're going to have conversational analytics running in real time on the back of it. But I think the area, the biggest area that these AI um, tech vendors need to build out right now, um, and if you look, if you look at all of their websites, they're talking about how quick it is to set up a conversation. Um, and but really, buyers of this don't really care that much how quick it is. What they really care about is understanding risk quickly um understanding you know what they're doing right as well um and having those dashboards and the desktop analytics that they've they've always had that are going to show them at a glance everything that they need to know and that for me that's the piece that's that's still to come it's it's missing and i think as we start to look at some of the bigger vendors that are bringing these platforms in, I think they will be the trailblazers that will actually provide the best desktop analytics package for this. Um, but some of the startups that are building great, great platforms themselves haven't got that end bit nailed yet. Okay. I want to change gears a little bit again. Who's your favorite beetle? Do you know, 
I don't really like the Beatles that much. Oh, um, no. I know. I know. So so I haven't really got a favourite. Um, in fact, you know, I'm the only one in my family that doesn't really like the Beatles and don't get it. Um, I'm a Rolling Stones girl. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I assume that it's Mick Jagger all the time for you. Is that the case? Oh, yeah. All day long. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, it's hard to be the black sheep when you're wearing that bright of a shirt and jacket. But I, I also I wanted to ask you, how does someone who went to the Swindon School for Art and Design studying fine art, painting, and sculpture end up here in this business? Tell me about that. Oh, there's a journey. I'm not sure we've got long enough. But what, <laughs> what I will tell you <laughs> is I left art school. And uh, whilst I was art school, I, I had a retail job, which I absolutely loved. And I actually loved it more than art school, which, um, you know, it's a bit shameful. Um, so instead of going deeper and darker in, into art, because the thing was, I, I was fine art, but my personality does not suit fine art because it means you have to sit in a dark room still <laughs> producing brilliance. And you know, that I, I just, I struggle with that. Um, I like to be, you know, with customers, I like to be busy um, but and I'm also crazy about tech as well. I'm I'm an early adopter for you know any anything tech related. So yeah, I was in I was in retail management for about twelve years actually before I I joined tech and I moved into a house full of university grads and uh, we decided we were going to set up an internet company and this is in 1997. So, wow. um, yeah, long, long ago. And, and I've been in tech ever since. I, I love it. I can't get enough of it. I love the people. For many, many years, Rob, I was the only woman in the meeting room. And the joy for me is now, you know, so often, um, you know, I've had many meetings, even in the last month, where it's been all women in tech. Yeah. Um, so I've certainly seen a lot, a lot change. The great thing about the, the whole tech world is how it evolves so quickly. So you can never get bored of it, can you? No, definitely not. So that leads me to another question. What was the bit of tech that you went all in on early that you regretted <laughs> the most that was like the worst experience? Ooh, let's see. Let's see. Do you know what? I haven't actually got many regrets on that front. I do remember um there was a there was something that you wore on your arm. It was like, you know where you put your um your iPhone on your arm in a wrapper? You had one of those yeah. that you wore it on your arm and you would use it to do presentations. And it would interact with your iPad. And that was when the iPad first came out. And so you would just use a finger to swipe the uh, PowerPoint along. And yeah, I was all over that. But it only worked 50% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you just had to do extra swipes. That's all. 
yeah yeah well what happens is is you just end up and you're fiddling about with the the ipad and you think yeah actually it would have been better without <laughs> yeah okay so on the flip side what was the best or your favorite piece of tech that that you went all in on early Ooh, well i got i was the first person that i knew to get a mobile phone so there's that <laughs> uh, <laughs> how big was it uh, it it was big it was big it was like let's see it was at least three and a half inches probably by seven inches it was it was huge but um about the size of this mug it, it was <laughs> it was that it was about that and i remember um i got it from a friend that had just started working at vodafone and uh, they were just about to release these for sales reps. And it was, they were only used in business. You couldn't buy them. There were, there were no shops selling mobile phones back then. So, and I got this great big thing. And I remember I was a retail store manager at the time. And I used to keep it under the counter. But of course, nobody phones you on it because no one else has got one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, memories. Yeah. Rachel. That was such a great story. And I am so glad that I got the opportunity to talk with you today. Thank you so much for joining Thanks, the Robert, show. Sir. It's been wonderful. Next in Queue is brought to you by Happy To and is produced by me, Rob Dwyer. If you enjoy this podcast, please, by all means, subscribe and or rate this podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. But more importantly, please tell just one person about this podcast. Word of mouth is the best way for people to discover new content. As always, thanks for listening.